and God's people are promised that they will be brought through, and it's all because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and we're going to see that in a wonderful overview of the cosmic battle of the ages throughout Scripture tonight. And turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're still at the point where the seventh trumpet has been blown, and the bold judgments will proceed pretty quickly. But there's another pause here in the midst of this for a narrative that um, before the judgments of the seventh trumpet is described, the final judgments before the kingdom of God, before Jesus comes and inaugurates the kingdom um, on earth, that we're giving really um, in this in chapter 13, as we'll see next week, kind of a macro, a large picture summary of the cosmic battle that has gone on since time began. And this is one of those times where there is symbolism. Sometimes I've, I've told you that uh, my approach to this is normative interpretation. That doesn't mean that there isn't symbolism within Revelation. And nicely, we're thankful for this, but we're told when that symbolism takes place within the Scripture, within the passage, and such is the case here. Um, even as we look at verse 1, it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, and we'll see more about that soon. But let's read, um, starting at verse 4, talking about a sign, the first of the woman, and then a dragon, and a mighty terrible dragon indeed. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And as terrible as this dragon is, and we'll find out in this passage, the name, uh, it will be told us very clearly, three separate ways he'll be described. Um, in verse 9, as fearsome as this enemy is, and even to us today as um, he prowls around, what we need to remember, and sometimes we forget, is that we can remain confident that God will overthrow the enemy through what the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished. Um, our greatest spiritual foe, we don't have to live in terror over him because Jesus has already conquered him through the blood of his sacrifice. And so tonight we're going to see conquered by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, give us understanding tonight and give us joy that the terrible adversary from the beginning of creation that has opposed you, that as um, powerful and as awful as he is, that we see in this chapter 
that his reign and power is for a limited time and that he cannot conquer. He cannot gain victory or an advantage over you and over our Savior, Jesus Christ. So whatever we're facing, certainly if we sense um, an attack of the enemy, help us not to be cowered by that, but to remember that Jesus has already conquered and we can live in that victory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The enemy will not succeed in his operation to, to Christ, to Jesus Christ. We see that in the first eight verses. He cannot, even though he, he wanted to, he was not able and he cannot destroy the Messiah. And again, we find out in verse 1 here that this section of Revelation is symbolic because it says a great sign. This is a sign. It is symbolism. And this appeared in heaven as John continues to view this. Two signs. The first is this woman dressed in the magnificent clothing of creation. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, this may seem remarkable and a little bizarre. How are we supposed to figure out um, who this is? Well, remember all the themes that tie back from Revelation, the last book of the Bible, to the Old Testament. And here, this theme goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Go ahead and turn with me real quick, Genesis 37. 9 through 11. You remember that passage where Joseph had those dreams? And some people said that he came to his family and was bragging about these dreams. Well, the only problem is I don't see that anywhere in the passage. I give Joseph the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he could have been a little bit more careful in the way that he presented these dreams and, and what God was telling him. But in the end, he just wanted to share with his family what God had shown to him. Genesis 37, 9 through 11. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father, Jacob, kept the saying in mind. He remembered that because he noted that this is significant. And this is the first that we see of this. And these sun, moon, and stars in Joseph's dream represented the nation of Israel in its infant, its initial form of Jacob and his family. And so Israel continues throughout the Old Testament to be described many times in feminine terms and even many times being described as enduring labor pains. That's a frequent Old Testament prophetic theme. And so we get to this point, and with that all tied together, and what the rest of the context says, that this woman is the nation of Israel. And finally realized, all the way back from Joseph's dream, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And there is numerous Old Testament passages that describe this. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8. Wait, wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. There will, they will be dismayed. Pains and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. 
And uh, God prophesied that his people would have to go through this in judgment. And so, again, these themes. But this is a specific pain and a birth that is described here that is uh, ultimately important to us. And we'll see that as we continue. Well, here is this um, wonderfully clothed woman, the nation of Israel, about ready to give birth. And all of a sudden, this other sign, verse 3, appears in heaven. The second sign, and this is symbolism as well, but it's a great red dragon. Think of a mighty, terrible, blood-red beast. And he had seven heads and seven horns, and on his head, seven diadems. Now, does that um, sound familiar to anything that we've seen in prophecy recently? Let me read back to you Daniel chapter 7, 23 and 24. And he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. This is referring to the Antichrist. But the dragon described here tells us that the real power behind the Antichrist is this dragon. He is the one that truly is the terrible appearance with these seven heads and ten horns. And um, this as well describes the true power and authority that this dragon has. He has command of the great world kingdoms that have come up through power throughout world history. But his authority is still temporary. And we're going to see that at the end. Well, with this terrible depiction, we're supposed to be um, kind of entranced in an awful way. It describes then in verse 4, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. What would this be referring to? Well, again, I'm not going to give it away because later on uh, the passage will tell us. But, well, I guess yeah, I kind of have to, actually. Um, we'll find out later on, you guys know this anyway, that this is really Satan himself. And this is then a summary from the beginning. Um, Satan's initial rebellion from God that's what's describing here. Remember, the stars can be descriptive of angels. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And this seems to best describe that initial rebellion of Satan long ago. And God um, giving him and these fallen angels opportunity to choose. And they chose to go with him. And a powerful presence indeed to take a third of the heavenly hosts with them. And it says they were cast to earth. That was God's doing. They could rebel, but God was the one that was in charge of where they would go. And remember, a number of them were also thrown into prison at the same time, while the rest continued to follow after the dragon. This was a heavenly rebellion early on in creation history. And the dragon took a third of these angels with him. Now, if he is God's adversary in this way from the beginning of time, then certainly this next um, verse will not surprise us. 
The dragon stood, the second part of verse 4, excuse me. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Well, who is this male child then? Well, we're told in verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And here we have, as the woman is described as the nation of Israel, the one that would come, God's chosen one, the Messiah, that would be birthed. And we know that he's the Messiah because he's the one that would rule with a rod of iron. And do you remember Psalm 2? That is a direct fulfillment of Psalm 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so this is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that came from the nation of Israel. Now let me throw this out to you. We know who this is now. But it says her child was caught up to God and to his throne. What do you think that is referring to? Rob? So all of this, if the people are ready to devour the child, we can think of the Christmas story where Herod was ready to kill all of the children. And then, in a nutshell, God, we know that Jesus didn't come to rule on earth during his degree and change years, but in the future, and after his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, he was caught up back to God, where he's seated on the right hand, awaiting that time. Excellent. And that, uh, that is almost points right from my notes, actually. This is referring to the ascension, but it is true. You can almost, as this description of the dragon waiting for the woman who's about to give birth, you naturally think of King Herod and the um, sacrifice of life of all those male, those boy babies, those male babies, and yet God protected his son. And they went to Egypt, they fled, and all really all of the whole story of Christ is, is kind of quickly summed up in this one phrase, that she gave birth and the child was caught up to God after his sacrifice and resurrection. Yes, he ascended and now he reigns with God the Father on the throne at his right hand. So Satan... Satan's plan was brought to naught. That was one of his biggest aspects of his plan. He had to get rid of Messiah, and he utterly failed in that. This powerful, amazing uh, beast, this uh, dragon, this entity named Satan, totally failed in the one thing that it was important for him to do above all else, and that was conquer Jesus Christ. And he could not do it, folks. But that left then the nation, even as Jesus ascended and was ruling and still rules and reigns. One day he'll come back and rule and reign as well. That still leaves the people behind. Verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Israel's left to flee 
and hide in this last half of the tribulation. Now, how do I know that? It's kind of, it's, remember, in prophecy, things get telescoped. You can see one aspect, this is Christ's ascension, and then we see thousands of years later, at a time where we still don't know for sure when this will take place, when the, the last half of the tribulation, um, it is described here as she will be taken care of, nourished for 12 for 1,260 days, that's the same number of the two witnesses. It seems to be tied in there. The two witnesses will take place that we talked about last week, will have their testimony, their powerful testimony, um, where they'll be able to combat all their enemies for a certain time. That will take place in the last half of the tribulation. And this seems to be uh, also as well uh, what will take place as Israel flees in the wilderness and finds refuge in a place prepared by God where she'll be taken care of. And Christ himself talked about this. Matthew 24. Go ahead and just turn there. Uh, this will be the last passage that we'll look at besides Revelation tonight. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21. he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and that is referring to um, the desecration of the temple that the Antichrist will bring to pass, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, and never will be. Now the whole seven years is referred to as the tribulation, but many times in Scripture, and Christ is referring to this as well, the last um, three and a half years are referred to as the great tribulation because God's great wrath will be poured out in judgment. But at the same time, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, um, this dragon will be, um, well, we'll see, but he will also be roaming um, the earth in a state of anger and revenge that has never been seen from him before. It really, truly will be a terrible time. And yet Jesus makes clear that those that flee, as he describes here, the woman that fled in the wilderness, they will be taken care of by God. Uh, they'll be sustained by him, protected by him. And remember, this is at a, well, we haven't gotten to this part yet, but as we'll find out next week, this is at a time where people cannot get sustenance, food, and um, the necessities of life apart from a special mark that we'll find out about soon. So the people, the, the woman, the nation of Israel, will have to be kind of like if you think back to Elijah and the way that God uh, provided for him. God will provide for his people during these last three and a half years as well. Well, why is this dragon so angry anyway? We're going to find out more details now. And seven, because remember at this point, if we follow our timeline, it seems like context tells us this is correct, is that this is at the midway point of the tribulation 
and this dragon decides I'm going to go all-out war and try to take on the heavenly forces. How do you think that's going to turn out? Verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels. There we have Michael the archangel that we started studying in Jude last Wednesday. Here we have him again, and it seems to be that Michael is, he's also mentioned in Daniel, but he is, as an archangel, the commander of um, God's heavenly forces. Michael and his angel fighting against the dragon. This isn't the first time he's fought the dragon over Moses' body. We talked a little bit about that, that strange um, story last Wednesday. Now he's fighting again. And they will be successful. The dragon and his angels, these are his demonic hordes that are fighting back. But in the midst of this, uh, really, it must be an amazing uh, battle to behold. He is still soundly defeated. He was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them. That's the dragon and his angels for them in heaven. They're going to be expelled from heaven for good. At this point. And the dragon's most ardent attempts to triumph over God will fail miserably. The ultimate fail here. And it's described for us. He cannot destroy the Messiah and he cannot defeat the hosts of heaven. And eventually we'll see as well the enemy will be fully defeated in his war against the Messiah, against Christ. And as we see now, he'll be thrown down from God's heavenly dwelling. And let's continue on in verse 9. Now we're told who this dragon was. I gave it away already. But um, some of, the, of his most well-known names and descriptions are here in verse 9 that, that signify his description throughout God's word throughout the Old Testament. Verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down. Utter failure, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, that individual that gives us so much trouble, the accuser. Now let's, let's just go into these in a little more detail here. Unambiguously now we know who this dragon is, and he's utterly defeated. He is, back to Genesis, the ancient serpent of the garden who tempted man to his great fall in the Garden of Eden, who tempted man and started the whole, the, the broken relationship with God and all of the sin that we suffer and we go through now. We're responsible for our sin, our own personal sin, by the way. We don't just blame it on Adam and Eve, but this is where it all started, where things became broken. And now we find that he is mentioned again as thrown out of heaven entirely. He's also called the devil, uh, Greek diablos. And that refers to the fact that he's a great slanderer and adversary of God. And he's Satan, the accuser and adversary of God's people, who, as it describes here, reminds us, this reminds us that he still to this day accuses us before God. And so we're thankful that Jesus stands as our mediator and, remind, and uh, points out that we have his righteousness because uh, Satan is very committed to this. He is constantly watching and accusing us of our sin in the heavens. 
before God. He is the deceiver of the whole world. He is the father of lies. Remember, he's the one that tempted David to sin. And he attacked Job. And so many other things and where he destroyed people's lives and abandoned. And now he no longer has access to heaven. He still has access today. He had access in Job's time. Even though he, had, uh, he was required to give an account of himself, as Job's, um, the book of Job tells us, there will come a point in the future where he will arrogantly try to attack God one more time, and he'll be told, never again. You're never allowed in the heavenly kingdom, in the heavenly dwelling place of God again, and he'll be thrown down for good. And that, as we're going to see next, is a marvelous reason for celebration and for worship of God to see this thing happen. And that's what we have in the next few verses. He's thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him, never again to access the heavenly dwelling place of God. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And here's the celebration that the kingdom of God, and it's described here, is on the verge of taking place, that it is certain that Jesus' kingdom is coming. And one sign of this is the devil has been dealt with. In the first of three major things, we'll see the rest later, he's been thrown out of heaven. That's one stage of um, this procession that the kingdom will take place soon. And the salvation that we've been uh, saved from the power of sin and the power to conquer um, the great um, power that has been given to Satan. And the kingdom of God, the authority of Jesus Christ have come. And even as this... Um, this terrible dragon still accuses us today of our sin. One day he'll be thrown out of heaven and never be able to accuse us again, folks. He was diligent in it. It says, day and night before our God. And they're glad to have him out of heaven at this point too. And they're rejoicing that he is being dealt with. Well, how is us all accomplished? How is such an amazingly powerful, terrible entity thrown out in this way because of the blood of the lamb jesus christ de the devil satan had thought that he had won the day didn't he when he had jesus sacrificed on that cross and uh, shedding his blood and being nailed and all the terrible things that jesus went through i'm certain that satan thought that he had been victorious but in that moment folks he was signing his own death warrant that's not but his defeat warrant and we're told because of what jesus went through and purchased our redemption and can give us his righteousness that he has conquered satan and that will be apparent his time of reign is close to being over all because of what Jesus accomplished. 
So do we need to be careful of the devil's devices today? Certainly. Do we need to be fearful and afraid? Never be afraid, folks. He's already a conquered enemy. He's already a failed adversary. And we will see that in full display, hopefully soon. And so, also then, it describes uh, these, uh, it's, it seems to be best referring to the martyrs who were under the, um, the altar earlier in the book, that they're saying this and they're acknowledging that finally Satan has been dealt with and will continue to be dealt with. But that because of the blood of the Lamb, that these martyrs were, it says the word of their testimony, that means that they were able to keep a faithful testimony toward God's word. It means they were able to be obedient in very difficult times because of what Jesus Christ had accomplished, his righteousness given to them. And so they were even able to live for him, even facing death, and they would face death in these last three and a half years in an even more intense way than the first part of the tribulation. But they were able to be victorious. Even in death, these martyrs were victorious. Because even in death, Jesus was victorious for us. And so we don't even have to fear death, folks, because of the victory that we have in Christ. And so even as it's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus gave and um, the, um, the martyrdom that these um, of God's people would still have to face, it still says, verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. We're victorious. And Satan has been thrown out of heaven. Never to enter again. That is a cause for rejoicing. But the story's not over yet. Because you have a very angry, defeated dragon who's still walking the earth. And so at the same time, they say in verse 12, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. He's been reminded that he is a defeated foe. But his time isn't over yet. And in the midst of the great judgment of God, now we have the great revenge seeker of Satan prowling the earth and bringing even more um, persecution to God's people. Again, a terrible time, but we're going to see here in the end that he is still frustrated in his attack on God's people, even at this time. So as he's contained on the earth, he continues to try to make war with the woman and with those that are a part of her. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth and he had been utterly defeated, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. It has to be, again, the nation of Israel in context. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. This gives us a little more detail, uh, that God will supernaturally provide protection, allow um, those that are truly his faithful servants within Israel to flee and escape the revenge and the anger of Satan himself, and they, she will be taken care of for a while. Remember that time? times and half a time is best in context is that three and a half years the end of the tribulation but the serpent 
is going to do his best. The dragon is going to do his best to try to wipe her out. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. And whether this should be considered an actual flood as God's people are escaping, um, there are times of drought and arid dryness um, in the wilderness in which sometimes you get gusts of rainstorms that literally wash everything out, whether it's something like this or whether it's figurative for the armies of Satan through the Antichrist or whatever, he's going to do his best to take out the followers of God. But God, again, will supernaturally intervene. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth itself opened up its mouth. Maybe it's through an earthquake. As we remember, even from the Old Testament, the sons of Korah, where the earth just opened up and swallowed them. Certainly, God can have the earth open up and swallow this water or swallow these armies that are after Israel. And swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then, the dragon's even angrier, right? He became furious with the woman. And he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And we'll see next week what takes place as it is described um, Satan's... Um, Minions, the Antichrist, and another one considered uh, called the false prophet, who arise and through Satan's bidding um, try to defeat God's people. That will be shown in Revelation 13. But these people that they're describing here that Satan is after, um, in context here, if this is the nation of Israel, then although some commentators, and this, there's probably some uh, sense in this, that it looks, they look at these people as the, the general uh, tribulation saints in general, Jews and Gentiles, uh, that are trying to escape the persecution. But I think even more specifically, maybe it's the, um, the thousands that uh, were mentioned um, that would be protected by God and the seal that was put on them. And spe even more specifically, um, the faithful, the saved among the Jewish people that the dragon is after. And he's going to try to eradicate them and do his best. But through all of these things, folks, notice that he's frustrated every time. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's terrible. Um, he has terrible armies and these demonic hordes that have these horrible attributes and faces and able to bring pain and all these things. We can be intimidated by this, but we shouldn't be. Because what have we learned from this chapter today? Satan has already failed. He's already a failure, and he'll continue to be a failure. He's strong, but he's not too strong for God. Because our Savior gave his life and shed his blood and was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the devil himself. And so, folks, regardless of what we face and the attacks we face, we know the final outcome. We know that we can have victory in Jesus. Lord, thank you. As strange and as terrible as some of these narratives are, we're grateful to see that it, was, that it is Jesus Christ who has won us the victory and that we don't have to fear the powerful enemy because he will be dealt with. He'll be knocked out of heaven one day, never to return. 
Furthermore, he'll be locked away forever. Uh, never to harm us again at some point, and we look forward to that. Lord, we know today he still walks about as a roaring lion, prowling, wanting to get at us. Help us to be careful. Help us to not fall to his devices. And remember that he's walking, he's a walking threat for a limited amount of time. And Lord, if even Jesus were to come tonight and set us free from all this, we would rejoice. But we do rejoice in the knowledge that Satan will reign only for a limited time. And he will be dealt with in finality forever. And that time can't come soon enough. In the meantime, give us strength and power. And the reminder that we are overcomers through what Christ has accomplished for us. And all this we ask for your help in remembering these things. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.